What's up? This is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Dittleman. Welcome to Mind Over Magic. We're back with Mind Over Magic, your favorite podcast that's named Mind Over Magic. I, I guess that is an accurate... I, we, I don't know. We might not be the only one, Matt. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we are. All right, we might be, yeah. <laughs> How are you? At least in podcast form. I am doing great. I've been uh, busy on the road, but uh, and I have stories from the road. But first, we need to start and wish you a happy anniversary. Or Woo! more than one, actually. Multiple anniversaries. <laughs> You're right. Multiple anniversaries. <laughs> one day after the next. Wow. So good. So good. Yeah. So August 21st was the anniversary anniversary of the grand opening of our show. Let me get your opinion. I never know when to celebrate because we actually opened, I think, on August 5th. Were, were, were those technically previews? They called them previews, but previews are ticketed shows in which people buy tickets to go see a show. And like, also, previews aren't really a thing in Vegas as much right. as they are in New York. So I don't even know why there were previews. And what the difference is between previews and post grand opening? What would you say? Yeah, in New York, like previews is a big thing because you have your official opening date, and like that's when the press comes and everyone can actually we start did the same doing thing. reviews. Yeah, uh, we did the same. But like again, reviews there are like you know there's one entertainment writer in Las Vegas, and at the time, like essentially, and at the time there were two. But I mean, in New York, it's it's a bigger scene than that in terms of like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. how they handle theatrical things like that right yeah definitely it's a different different landscape because previews in new york is like still assumed that you can still work and change things before opening night like you're doing it for a test audience essentially yeah that's what this is too but like i feel like the people who are going to a las vegas preview don't realize they're a test audience right <laughs> yeah i think that's probably true <laughs> but maybe you can celebrate maybe it's like um you know kind of like a dating anniversary and then you get like the actual like marriage anniversary <laughs> right right uh, i think from now on i'm gonna celebrate the official opening night yeah like the, which was not the grand opening the the official oh so the fifth you're saying the previous i think so the it, first time not being only, on stage in vegas yeah if not only for the reason that um you know my actual as you mentioned my actual anniversary <laughs> for my wedding anniversary is the following day yeah. so i feel like they don't need to you know sit on top of each other why not spread out the love a little bit well i'm just saying matt how much easier to remember if it's back to back. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Then you That's don't fair. have to worry about it. You're just like, oh, this is the anniversary days. And then at some point you'll just like mix up which one's which. Right, right. <laughs> so how many years, Matt? Seven years. And then how many years of wedding anniversary? Three years. Don't mix those up either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic, man. And I saw the cake looked amazing. You had a um, a Matt, little Matt Franco on the cake. <laughs> yeah. So, like, um, I'm on my way into the show, and Tiana mm -hmm. receives – she's in the passenger seat of the car. She receives yeah. a uh, – I'm driving. She receives a uh, um, – a, a picture of the cake for yeah. the first time when we're yeah. on their way to the anniversary show. Mm -hmm. And she's like laughing. And, you know, <laughs> my, my brother Ryan is the one who sent her the photo. Mm -hmm. So he, he's apparently dying. Yeah. And, and I'm like, but no one will show me what the cake looks like. Oh, it's got to be a surprise. So now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm on my way in just thinking, oh, geez, what is the, what, why is this so hysterical? She's telling me it doesn't even look like a cake and blah, blah, blah. And then finally when I saw it, you know, because my expectations were so low, especially, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is actually like really cool. And we've had lots of cool cakes and cupcakes mm -hmm. and stuff in the past, but I think this was the best one. It's literally like there's a little, it's almost like an action figure in, it's a 3D model, right? So it's like a little Matt Franco action figure-ish that's Looked like it's actually cake too. Could you? Eat it's it? edible. Yeah, you could eat it. And then you're. It's is it the new poker table set? 
Is that what you it, were performing, or was it your other table? No, it was actually the tables we've had from day one, but the detail on the tables was actually crazy. <laughs> like, it had the bevel at the bottom and everything. I mean, wow. I was I was especially impressed with the table. But yeah, it was basically a little mock-up stage uh, with a bunch of seven of hearts because seven years, and, you know, that was cool. Um, also, I mentioned there's one entertainment writer in town, John Katz. I, I loved that he wrote about, um, he kind of shined the light on, on my team in the stuff that he wrote, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Um, about the seven years, because he asked for like, uh, we, we spoke in like a quick phone interview and he said, what's the secret to success? How are you, how have you been just consistently doing this seven years? Like, um, without any sort of, you know, without a whole lot of drama, you know? Right. And, and I said, the secret is, uh, one of the secrets. I said, listen, I don't know if this is interesting to publish in your, your article. I have no idea, but I'll mm-hmm. just give you the honest answer. And I had talked about a lot of things, but one of the things I talked about was um, having a team that knows what I'm thinking, when I'm thinking it, during the show, that allows us to pivot in real time collectively, uh, which is like a real secret to the success of a uh, of a show that's structured the way mine is. And I love that he chose to use that. That was like the part that he latched onto, which I was so happy for um, because... I wanted to, you know, I think it's great that we were able to shine shine the light on where it should be shined. So I thought that was cool. So you hire mind readers to be part of your crew. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're not mind readers legitimately. So they just need to like learn right. the like little Matt Francoisms of like, you know, oh, he's doing this now. Oh, he wants to change this to that. Oh, yeah. we're, we're yeah. skipping this part. Okay. <laughs> no, that's so key. And like being dialed in and like almost anticipating your needs and, and, yeah, and like like you said, you've been you know drama free as a production because just people are happy to be there and working, and you know it just says a lot about the environment that you provide as a show because we also know that's not always the case when it comes to entertainment shows and especially in Vegas, which can be have some some divas. It's a, <laughs> no, say. look, it's a it's a dream team. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, and shows have been amazing. We've had uh, just had an, coming off of amazing couple of weeks of packed out shows and i know you know the feeling yeah i've been seeing the photos of of your uh your fall kickoff shows for the colleges and i i couldn't help but you know feel like you were you were feeling that same energy yeah well before we wrap up wrap up the last topic i just wanted to congratulate you one more time on the two anniversaries you've had uh the big big success having a show for seven years in las vegas And, and the marriage one is impressive too (laughs) (laughs) three's a good one for the marriage seven's a weird one to celebrate though right it's not five it's not ten it's kind of just floating in the middle there right well you had a pandemic too so i mean why not right seven i can imagine eight and nine is pretty weird too yeah but why not but there's more cake involved yeah coming (laughs) up coming up i don't know the exact date but we're gonna hit 2000 shows shows soon and that to me feels like that's a, a big one a milestone how many hours? Do you know how many hours that would be? Two, I, I I did the math the other day. I don't remember the number, but I mean, we're talking like, it's funny because it's a lot of hours, but you talk about the 10,000 hour rule. Mm-hmm. I actually, you know, in front of audiences, haven't been on stage for 10,000 hours in at the link yet. It's like, right. you know, 3,000 and something for almost 4,000 hours. Right, right. You just but isn't that interesting? It goes to show by you. Ninety. What is it? Seventy minutes show? Seventy-five? It's about. It's 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 about 90. eighty eighty-five. It's probably yeah. eighty-five. Someone with a calculator listening could do the math. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes to show you how much ten thousand hours really is. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's, you know. You know, it's about ten years ish. I think the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours is about roughly. I, uh, I've always kind of viewed it as 10 years of practicing something. So you're not quite there in Vegas yet, but I mean, you've started magic since you were four years old. So, right. Well, I've also <laughs> probably spent 10,000 hours on that stage, including tech and rehearsals and that's things. true. Absolutely. But you know, in terms of actually being on stage in front of audiences, that's harder to clock, you know, harder to yeah. rack up that time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, the full audiences. There's such a difference, man. I've been. Uh, I was on the road starting the like you're saying the the college orientation and welcome weeks, uh, and it's been such a blast. There's such a huge difference. There's that freshman energy. They've been filling out sold out shows, which has mm-hmm. been fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've been doing. Um, 
like autograph lines and stuff after. So I've been staying like an extra hour after the show for anyone right. else to stay. And I just have like postcards I sign and you, they lot. look great though. I've seen yeah. those and um, people are posting them and stuff. And yeah, I saw some of the ones you were sharing and like, it just really feels like a special thing that you're at their campus. Cause you've got your pictures of, of Ellen and Ryan and Kelly and yeah. America's got talent and yeah, you know, references to Penn and Tell, the whole thing, it just feels like this is so cool that this guy came here for us. Well, I'll tell you one of the biggest differences I think I noticed was I finally, like, have been playing around. I did one of my goals. I worked out an I issue I was having with Q Labs, but I've been actually starting with a video intro as opposed to just a written intro. Well, actually, I'm technically doing both. I have uh, the the whoever's hosting the event, the you know student organ I organize organizer. I could say that word. <laughs> Why is that such a hard <laughs> word? <laughs> Slow down, deep breaths here. Um, the student organizer or the advisor will introduce me via a little note card, and then as soon as they're done, I hit the play button in my video intro. So they're introducing off. the video. Yeah, well, they're introducing me, but then the video just kind of re-highlights it with actual clips and then I walk out on stage and I've been noticing a big difference because you're it's adding that credibility rather than just and the production value of it adds credibility as well so that it's oh it's not just some guy they brought in you know even hearing the credits is different than seeing the credits I think totally different yeah and, and especially because people make up credits that aren't real so right? that, you know <laughs> audiences are probably savvy to that yeah I mean it's a yeah it's one thing to hear it and one thing to witness it and see it uh, but then it just sets up this other expectation so like even just starting the show is so much easier and I'm seeing like the reactions you know throughout the show stronger and then at the end and I think there's some psychological studies on or even just like science studies about like the power of an intro that I know Josh Jay wrote an article about one of his several uh, little magic tests he did. Yeah, it's so ironic you mentioned that. So Josh Jay was just at the show. Nice. This week. Oh, very cool. Uh, and Andy Gladwin. So basically the uh, the the founders, the, the heads of Vanishing Inc., which is the, mm -hmm. the largest magic shop online magic store uh it's one of the two big dogs anyway mm -hmm. um and they were just at the show and one of the things they they talked about is like um people being clamoring to participate during the show and they've seen the show i think four times said every time uh they're like it's one of those things no one's really talking about because they're seeing other shows that you know and they're saying matt it's like always packed we're noticing that yeah. and like no one's yeah. really talking about that. And like, you know, not all shows are, you know, and, um, and always people are clamoring to get on stage. And they said, why is that? Because we're not seeing that in other shows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of theories on it. I don't really know the answer. I think part of it is familiarity with the performer on stage. I don't know if you see a difference playing a video intro. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I, I think um, I see what you're saying. Well, it's also tough to tell because a lot of these audiences right, that I just did this past week were like freshman audiences that are like super eager to participate no matter what because they want to just be like, oh, we're finally at college. Now is my chance to get on stage. So like they're going wild to get part be part of the show. But, that's uh, interesting. But I'm curious to see what your reasoning in your show is with just the standard Vegas audience. Yeah, the truth is, I, I and I because I asked and I, I said, I really don't know. I think of maybe two things. Maybe part of it is familiarity with whoever the performer is, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like I do see it in some other instances. Sure. Um, but I think the other part is just like the approachability of that performer. Right. Yeah. The likability and just how welcoming they make the audience feel on stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like. I mean, I think it might just be the combination of those two things. I love that we're talking to the third person, but we're clearly talking about you here in this instance with well, likability. No, well, you have likability no, in space. But in terms of Josh and Andy talking about like what they saw on your show and like the the clamoring, right? Is that that was the context of this, right? The the context was yeah, they 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 seem to be sort of uh, taken aback by like how really anxious people are and like eager to actually participate as opposed right. to like you know, really people not wanting to go on stage because right. like, obviously, you know, being on stage is a huge fear for mm -hmm. many, many people. Right. And yeah. they, you know, would be mortified to be pulled on stage. Yeah. And it's you know? just breaking that uh, fear 
you're just not even making it a possibility. There's always going to be people that want to be part of the show. It's just kind of finding you. And I think it depends. You know, you're. I think you're absolutely right. It depends on the performer <laughs> and their style and their their welcoming. I think that might that. be the bigger part because yeah. I don't know that I can really credit the whole familiarity with the performer. You know, being on TV, being in their living room yeah. on a weekly basis or whatever for a period of time. Like I think that certainly helps because like they just are excited and want to be. Mm-hmm. Next to that person, whether it's Michael Carbonaro sure. or whomever, right? Yeah. Or, or there's the but, ce- celebrity selfie like mentality of let me just like get a moment of this person's time for sure. But I'd I don't say think, that doesn't hurt. However, right? I think that's to, a small part of it. Yeah. Yeah, because prior to any of that, I don't recall having issues finding participants. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, if we break down, like you were saying, the biggest fear is people getting on stage. Like that's a common like public speaking, all that. Uh, But it's because they don't want to feel embarrassed. They don't want to look and look bad in front of a lot of people. And that's a possibility. And uh, unfortunately, like a lot of magicians, as people, you know, were growing up, probably saw other participants used poorly and were the butt of the joke on stage. So. Once I think people get a sense of who you are as a performer and then they realize that they're in a safe environment where they're going to shine, then that fear goes away completely. Right. So now they're eager to participate because now they get to be part of the moments of the show that are special and to create magic together rather than be the butt of a joke. Yeah, I think you can create that same eagerness for participation depending on what the group is, you know. Right. Um. I mean, I still see, uh, you see much less of that still for me in certain corporate groups Mm -hmm. where people are really a little bit um, perhaps not eager to go on stage in front of their higher ups, in front of their bosses and things like that. Right. Not knowing, you know, what exactly is going to take place. Um, But anyway, I think like regardless of of uh, notability of the performer, you can get to that same point. You just have to establish your personality with your opening bit and so on. Um, mm-hmm. But I think 20 minutes in, you can kind of get to the same place. Right. No, I agree. I agree. So so I think what, you know, either credibility through television or social media or whatever it is, just quickens it. Yeah. You're starting at the gate. Like uh, even the big celebrities, when they come out and like if thinking of like the biggest comedians, when they step out on the stage, you, you, you know, you get a, yeah, you know, a minute grace period of them just hooting and hollering, but then you still had to oh, perform, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that before, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Seinfeld has like a joke, like yeah. I haven't said anything yet. Right, let's right, right, right. See if I'm funny first. Is, yeah. is that was that him? Uh, it might be. Yeah, I don't remember. Do, are you bringing back your meet and greets at all these days, or no? That's a good question. We haven't yet. What made you ask? Well, well, I, well yeah, we should. We ha- we just haven't done it yet. Because I'm waiting for things to feel yeah. like they're like, you know, I haven't heard about COVID in a while, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just want to like make sure, okay, like, okay, it's really done. Don't fool me again because we've been down this road again d- before, you know? Right. And then, yeah, we should reinstate them. But Well, the reason I bring it up is because I've been staying, you know, as long as it takes to meet anyone who wants to stay and do autographs after these shows and do Mm -hmm. photos. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just am very fascinated on the extra comments you hear after the show when people like what what is the one thing that they're bringing up that they want to have a little interaction with you? And like sometimes it's like, you know, it's a lot of praise, but there's like some odd ones every once in a while. Right. (laughs) Like I would say all the time. And by the way. Yeah, this is not unique to you or <laughs> no, me. No, I know, I know. Um, I've talked to like my manager about this because they they manage like huge music acts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, legendary music acts, and they said it is totally commonplace. And don't ask me why for like backhanded compliments to happen <laughs> at meet and greets, and it's yeah. not intentional, I guess, right. for the most part. Yeah. Um, but it, it it you know people are nervous, they're excited, they they have a hard time mm-hmm. necessarily articulating concisely what they're really trying to say right um but yeah i'm curious to hear some examples well even sometimes (laughs) they don't know what to say at all and they just are like standing there awkwardly and i was like you just have you have to as the performer kind of almost make the small talk and be like oh did you have a good time thanks for coming out all those kind of you know introductory things and you're also trying to like i had a long line so i was trying to like sign do a picture fast to get through through the line you know, and uh, but the one that kind of stood out to me was uh, 
there was, and I'm sure you've had this. Is and it's more geared towards what we do as mind readers and magicians. Is like we really enjoyed the show, and then they're like, "I think I know how you did one of these things." If I tell you, will you tell me I'm right? Right? Like, do you ever mm-hmm. get that? And and one one in particular was they accused me of a method that wasn't close at all, and I was just like. Whatever you convince yourself of, man, you know, like whatever, like no matter Uh, what I say, you can't win in that situation. Uh, But I just like, you know, try to briefly, you know, close a door post the trick or, you know, the effect anyway, but just to kind of brush it off because also I was just like trying to move the line along. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've, and, and, I don't want any of this to come off as, uh, you know, unappreciative because I, I love, yeah. I, I really do love meeting fans and, oh, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll chop it up with you if I bump into you, uh, you know, if I bump into people out wherever, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it, and I, and I can totally sympathize with like yeah. someone <laughs> saying something that might not be, um, and again, this is one person out of like hundreds. Yeah, that were, you know, yeah. It's, but you always remember that like one. What was that about? What was that weird comment? <laughs> yeah. And then there's also like um, uh, <laughs> advice that wasn't asked for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or I think you don't get this much like uh, with the colleges I do. But like oftentimes it's like so like my my significant other really enjoyed your show. You know, that. Oh, one my is God. So funny. <laughs> to me because it's like oh so you didn't like, yeah what? right right that is the subtext there but right, again right, i don't right. know that they necessarily mean that right, but exactly. it is how, how it comes off <laughs> gosh yeah no and even i yeah i have too many examples to really think of one specifically mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. the only way you can really handle it is uh, graciously right 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 and i i mean i've been doing like my blindfold act for uh, since you know forever and i have all the doors closed on it you know and it's it's a it's a workhorse piece for me and then still even though i'm having people check the ears no listening devices that's a very common one even on when i was on agt they you know some reporters claimed i had a listening piece and someone was feeding me information uh but uh i specifically have lines in the show now that say just for that reporter check out my ears but um, right right after the show there's one kid's like well you could have a phone that's buzzing you and i was like you see, I'm here by myself. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, like well, I, I can't go through reviews. every possibility of any, every kooky explanation that you think. So that's one of the reasons I was just kind of brushing it off. And it was like, no matter what I say, you're going to just come up with your own explanation. And that's right. Fine you're going to you. be satisfied yeah. Yeah, with yeah, your, yeah, yeah, your yeah. explanation anyway. That's totally outlandish. Um, yeah, I've seen yeah, reviews yeah. that were like meant to be complimentary. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, five stars amazing so much fun and likable and i still can't figure out how he did most of the tricks most (laughs) what what, what do you mean by that that the implication there (laughs) is that you believe that there was a percentage that you did know how to do yeah yeah, that like you know with zero (laughs) magic experience you just sat in the room and were able to just like dissect it i don't think so yeah yeah (laughs) i beg to differ it's so fun. I, they're just trying to save some sort of, you know, grace or ego. Well, yeah, you know, that's the thing. It comes doing, from yeah, that insecurity yeah, 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 and ego. Yeah. Um, or maybe we sound like we're coming from ego, right. assuming that they don't know. But the truth is, it's impossible right. to sit in the audience and actually know, like, in detail why that worked. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe. If, like, you, you know, unless you have some experience in, in, mm-hmm. in the field, mm-hmm. obviously, which is a different thing. Um, but like realistically, like even if you know broad strokes of something like, oh yeah, he lapped it, you know, you wouldn't use the word lap, but like, right. you know, I, it, it just go, drives me up a wall watching people watch this Yuho Jin, sure. um, and like literally saying like, oh yeah, he's just dropping things off the table. Um, you know, my comment back to that is like, yeah. And Picasso just put paint on a canvas. Like, <laughs> yeah. You don't know anything about what he just did. Right. Right. <laughs> you don't know the technique that he's even using. You have an idea what you think it could be again to satisfy yourself, but the, right, but the like, work that, that goes into it is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't be, that should just, yeah, there's no less appreciation there. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I had a, a gift given to me on the same token um, on stage the other night. I'm at the casino table mm-hmm. and I'm performing. And this woman who's on stage, uh, there are four people on stage and she's one of them. And she she says, 
that just gives just just gives me a layup. She goes, yeah. "If I turn turn over that Joker, there's a joke. There's a pile of Jokers on the table. Yeah. She says, if I turn over that Joker, would it have a red back?" Mm-hmm. And I know, of course, the answer is yes. So I have her repeat it into the <laughs> microphone to make sure everyone hears sure. it. Sure, yeah. Of course it does. So she takes it, and it has a red back. So you know, there's a reaction to that. And I said, no, take them all. Try it. Now she's trying to duplicate the magic, trying to turn the Joker into another card, which is the effect, right, that right. I've been doing. Yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, it yeah. a few times now. For magicians listening, it's a take on a wild card is mm-hmm. the effect. Anyway, so and now she, you know, she's going, oh, it's not working. And the reactions are really <laughs> funny here. But I'm really putting the spotlight on her. And yeah. the camera, yeah. the handheld camera is literally just on her at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And then she starts going, but it feels a little more rough than the other cards, uh, <laughs> yeah. which it actually does because of the way it's printed, whatever. Sure. Um, but it has obviously nothing to do with the method. Sure. But it, so it's so funny because like then I hand it to her husband and he goes, well, no, it doesn't. Yeah, that's great. And now, I guess there's a little bit of a discrepancy here. And then the husband says something like, yeah, this happens all the time with us. You know, and the, <laughs> the crowd is roaring. It's so funny. And we make a whole bit of it. And there are then later it builds in callbacks into the show of like uh, of the roughness on the cards being the method, you know. Um, but it's so funny how like that card, the Joker feeling more rough wouldn't explain anything anyway. Right, right, right. They're just trying to grab grasp onto anything at all to make some sort of sense in their own mind. But um, but you bring up a really interesting point, which was I was just going to bring out about this comment that this one student made. Was, and I learned this from actually like YouTube comments uh, at one point is like you'll have people who come and say whatever they want. And it's very tempting to almost like defend yourself. But if you realize like others will come to your defense because they like you. Right. So you don't right. have to get involved. So you had the husband almost disproving whatever she believed anyway. And I kind of let that happen with the student because the student was there with all their friends and all the friends were like, no, man, what are you talking about? There's no way. Like, so they were doing all that work that I would have had to do if I was really like gung ho of disproving this guy's theory, <laughs> which I wasn't. But uh, but they did all the legwork for me uh, to just kind of disprove him. But he's like, I'm an engineer. I try to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I found myself wanting to be that like third party defender when I mm-hmm. shared Yuho Jin's video with yeah. my reaction to it mm-hmm. because there were you know especially on TikTok right. there were people who you know uh, really were just sort of like being like yeah this isn't you know there's no talent here he's just dropping things off the table and like I you know that's when I came in with that Picasso comment which. Right. which was a big hit actually yeah, good, like cuz there were other people wanting to defend it but not being able to find the words mm-hmm. and i struggled to find the words too and mm-hmm. then i then i had that and i was like boom mic drop there it goes great. um but yeah it was much it's much easier to defend when when i'm defending for someone else cuz like whenever right. i share things of my own work yeah. i want to defend it but at the same time i'm like you know it's like you said it's better maybe not to in some of those cases right. but because i was defending someone else i was more than happy to go to bat for him absolutely <laughs> you know? that's great yeah. yeah yeah that's a good strategy when it comes to that so i i felt like my my words had a little more credibility because there was no bias because it wasn't mm-hmm. me mm mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the same reason why we have agents to to yeah. tell for you anyway, you know, yeah. because it's weird if you're like trying to tell everyone how good you are. <laughs> but yeah. if you have a third party telling you it's more believable and, you know, people are, you know, do you want to do you want to put off trivia for a little bit? Because we're kind of yeah. going down a path here. Yeah. I think yeah. We yeah. Continue on. Absolutely. Because I mean, I know you had your road stuff. We, we, sure. We've now tapped into a little bit of AGT stuff, which I know there's more of that to get into. Right. So we, yeah. I think we should just kind of push it. Let's keep going. Yeah. Because um, even just with this, um, this line of thinking, too, is another comment I get a lot after a show is like, when did you realize you had these gifts? Right. As a mind reader, that's interesting when it comes to disclaimers. And I do have a disclaimer. There's a whole big debate on disclaimers and mentalism and whether or not people want to believe it's real or like, you know, they have the saying like you didn't come here to you don't you don't put a disclaimer in front of a play to tell Mm -hmm. people it's acting. So there's Mm -hmm. those arguments to it. But I I personally have a disclaimer in my show 
because I don't want people necessarily believing uh, that I have supernatural powers for instances after a show just like that, where people are like, tell me what I'm thinking now, you know, or all the all these challenges that come up when you claiming real powers. But even after I say the disclaimer in the show, people will still ask me. So it's almost as if a disclaimer doesn't matter because they're not right because they're again, people are going to want to believe what they want to believe. Uh, but I literally, what's nice is because I'm honest in my show about my disclaimer, all I have to do is repeat the disclaimer to them <laughs> and everyone can hear exactly what I said on stage. And they're like, oh, okay. And they try and process that with their own belief system um, as well. Right. So. so like in those cases, do you think they just missed it the first time? Like, Maybe, <laughs> or they just are, didn't want to believe it the first time or the rest of the show, which is what kind of the way my show is designed contradicted the disclaimer to kind of show that it's really impossible. If even you believe the disclaimer, because I do want that impossibility factor of my show and Mm -hmm. people are still um, leaving amazed. So I don't think my disclaimer takes away from that. And the show is designed to build even more. And uh, all I basically say is it's a mix of magic and psychology. And it's to make it seem like I'm not only telling you what you think, but how you think. And people are just, Wow. And I just say, oftentimes you think one thing's happening, really something else is. And it's kind of vague-ish, so there's room for interpretation. But I do get a little, it's a little odd when people are like, oh, how did, when did you know you had this gift? And I was like, no, I studied and trained and, and you know, I, I put in the work <laughs> to become right, a mind reader. Right. It's not just a gift. Well, I always forget that, like, because this really never happens to me, um, or Mm -hmm. really, really rarely, that, like, people will come to me asking for, like, to speak to a dead relative or, or, like, find a lost piece of jewelry. Whereas, like, I know you get that, um, the clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. I know I joked, like, a few weeks ago that a clairvoyant was at the show, but just a few days ago, we got both of them. Oh, okay. (laughs) The AGT. And they were telling me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the clairvoyance, uh, part of the AGT family, if you will. Back to that again. Um, they were talking about some of the like crazy requests that they get from people um, wanting them to do things that are really not what they do. And I don't know if they do a disclaimer or what that you know what they do in their full show. But you know, as a as someone who frames their act as a magician, I don't get those requests. But you have to have that all the time. Do you ever get someone who believes that what you do is real magic, though? Like, even though, even though you're saying it's sleight of hand, there's still going to be some people that are like, you're a very magical person. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's fairly seldom. I mm-hmm. mean, you see it more when it's broadcast to, um, you know, people on the internet and through mm-hmm. television. Then you'll see in the YouTube comments. Then you'll see um, somehow it's far enough reaching that it's reaching yeah. folks that say, no, no, this is well, this that's is- that's Black a numbers magic. game at that point. Right, right, exactly. People. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But rarely, I, I can't recall, you know, times mm-hmm. experiencing that in person, not recently anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fascinating. Right. Yeah, those were just thoughts I was having while I was on the road, but I was also trying to have fun while I was out, and I was, like, really uh, trying to explore a little bit. I was in Indiana. I didn't get to explore much there because I had to drive, like, an hour to the gig and back. Uh, but in Memphis, I forced myself. I had never been to Memphis before. So I went to try and do the – I had very little time, but I got to do two touristy things, Matt. And one was going to the big pyramid. And if you've ever been to Memphis, the pyramid is a giant bass pro shop. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like – but it's, like, decked out. There's, like, restaurants in it. I think there's even a hotel in it. Like, you can stay there. And then it's, like, all – like, there's an alligator swamp with real alligators in it. And then I went to the top restaurant where there's actually like a view of the city, which was cool. And then after the show, even though I had to get up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight, uh, I got back and I was like, I can spend a couple hours. I need to check out Beale Street. And Beale Street. I love that you that you shared it with that song, Walking in Memphis, because I love that oh, song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was the view of the city for sure. Yeah. Uh, on my socials. Uh, which you can follow at E. Diddleman uh, on Instagram if you want to see my travels. But uh, Beale Street was amazing because it's kind of like a mix between, it reminded me of Broadway in Nashville and like Bourbon Street in New Orleans combined into one because I had to, I was carded to get on the street mat 
It was Did like you walk with your feet 10 feet off a beal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, <laughs> levitating. Just levitating right, <laughs> right along the way there. But every bar, I mean, there's a ton of barbecue restaurants too, but every bar had a blues band playing and it was just amazing. And people were drinking in the streets and that's why they close it off and have like little checkpoints. But I like during the day. No, this well, I only went at night. I think, oh, they, okay. I think during the day it's more open, but at night they set up little checkpoints with IDs and wristbands. Like I had to pay like a $5 cover just to walk down the street. I wow. Think. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was amazing. I'm glad I did it and I'm glad I forced myself out to see it. And I definitely want to go back and check out, especially the music scene. I found a great blues band that was playing you would have loved it matt and just seeing like the, yeah you know, the old harmonica play oh so good the all old the blues harp the guitars that were hanging up in the wall in one of these mm-hmm. places oh, so oh, good. so much history there you know yeah yeah so i recommend memphis if you've never been i uh, actually haven't yeah so check Maybe that's it why out. i love the song yeah because it just because i aspire to walk <laughs> in memphis um do you want to cover agt real quick before we go into um some trivia. I would love to. Yeah. yeah. So right before uh, we jumped on, I actually happened to watch. Is it mm-hmm. Nicholas Ribs? Ribs. Yep. The French magician uh, who uh, who in his first round, which we covered, uh, did like a video projection on a screen and made cards kind of appear and disappear digitally, and then uh, like pulled an Eiffel Tower out of his. Uh, yeah. Screen. I really loved that first round. So I was eager. So I actually <laughs> recorded myself watching the oh, second cool. one Nice. because I thought, Oh, maybe I'll share it. Like I did with the Yuho Jin one. And maybe I will. I don't know. It's sitting in my drafts right now, but, um, well, what, what did you think? I, I don't know if I saw the full thing. Cause I saw what they shared on Instagram. So like for Yuho Jin's, it wasn't the full clip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if what I saw was abbreviated or not, but I did watch it. I found a YouTube clip that included like the judges' comments and the judges. Oh, were gotcha. So I haven't seen that. Blown what did away. They say? Well, no, uh, no, I don't want to. No. Oh, they were blown away. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, you don't want to hear it now, or do you want to go? Over well, now it? I already know the gist, so it's fine. <laughs> I know he went through to the finals. So he did. He he. So we got two magic acts in the finals with Yuho Jin and Nicholas Ribs. Uh, spoiler alert! Sorry if you haven't watched it yet, but uh, <laughs> the um, very much in the same vein too, huh? Yeah, very flashy, manipulating thing. Malip- manipulating at a table, yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, but using the projection is very interesting. Simon said two live acts have made him look foolish now because he admitted he had forgotten about his audition, and then he was blown away by this uh, second performance. Uh, how he said he could win the whole thing. Uh, so they, they, you know, Heidi was stunned. So uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, the the techniques that he's using and I, just the timing alone, I think, is so impressive. Uh, but he's right. making a keyboard appear, a hammer appear. He had like little animated graphics going across. What what were your reactions to it, man? I thought it was brilliant. It was great. No, it was great. I'd like to go back and watch the audition because for whatever reason, my my memory is that I was um, more moved by that one. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. to take anything away from the second performance, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, uh, I'd love to go back and watch that first one and kind of compare the two. Um, yeah, it was really creative. I like the. I always tend to like the blending of like the whole. And this has been going on for a long time. Marco Tempest was sort mm-hmm. of a pioneer of blending traditional techniques with uh, technology, mm-hmm. sort of making things appear and disappear and putting them into screens and things like that. And and then Marco started doing that with projection as well. Um, it's cool and interesting how Nicholas is doing it on a table, which is neat. Um, I always love stick figure animation. Sure, yeah. I have like a thing of that that I've been working on myself, but not, not really in the same vein. Um, not on a table like that, but um, I always tend to like that sort of thing, and it looks and feels magical, and it's a cool blend of traditional with te- technology. Um, but for whatever reason, um, it didn't give me the same feeling the first one did, so I'm anxious to go back mm. and find out why. Now, this was the question I was going to bring up to you because I think it was, you know, it's really cool to watch. But there's this debate that I have when I watch magic mixed with digital magic, you know, or digital projection, because it's almost as if it uh, I, I'm well, the question I ask is, does the digital projection take away from the magical moments? Because it's almost your brain is used to watching CGI and like movies and whatever. So, like, for example, he's there's a moment in his sequence where he's dealing down cards and they're disappearing from his hand, but then they're appearing 
as if he was normally dealing them, but in a digital form on the the, the screen. Did you see that part of the act? Of course, the, yeah, the, I did see it's, that. It's a Leonard Green move he's doing, I will say, and then essentially the cards are then appearing digitally. But for a second, your brain is connecting it as if it like makes sense. So there's almost not a magical moment at first until you realize. That is digital. Now, I'm sure it has a greater effect live in person, like from Terry Crews' perspective that was involved in the, the, the trick. But we're watching it on a screen, which is also like a screen display <laughs> of a screen. Right. So right. I don't know if it loses something a little bit there. But I, but I think our brains are strong enough that we're trying to make the connection, the through line. So like, I don't know if the magic pops as much because you have to really be adept to quickly identifying when things are digital, when things are real life. I think that's part of the fun. I think the fact that he got voted through shows that our brains are, you know, strong enough to do that. But Mm -hmm. also I think it's pretty amazing to use visual effects, like literal camera tricks, essentially with the projection, Mm -hmm. the digital magic have to, you have to be really good to take that and put it right up against your traditional techniques. Yeah. And have it actually hold up, which is an interesting juxtaposition too, isn't it? Yeah, because it has to be as smooth, right? Right. But what's so impressive to me, like I said, the timing, but also like the placement, like it's so precise. Like he makes a hammer appear at one point exactly on top of where the digital hammer was. Right. And it's almost imperceptible. It was so well done (laughs) that it's like... It's really wow once you watch it back, too. Yeah, it's interesting because I I actually, so I I watched it right before I came on, and then I watched my reaction to it. (laughs) Yeah. Just say, oh, can I post this or not, you know? Yeah. And um, I didn't react to the hammer appearing. Because it was almost so precise. Like I was saying, it's hard to, like, almost tell when it was digital and when it was real. There there was zero facial reaction to when it happened. (laughs) I acknowledged it. I know I saw it happen. But, yeah, it it wasn't, um, it's not surprising in the same way because it's right it's it's like if you color change like a a, a a jack of hearts to a king of hearts there's not a huge difference right yeah so like a digital hammer to the real hammer it's it's not a drastic change even though it is yeah even though you it's know? like wow how did he do that but it's more internalized i think yeah, for me it was yeah. anyway. Yeah, it sounds like for you too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I reason I'm curious to ask you specifically because I know during your card manipulation act, you used to have that with the screens as well where you would make cards vanish and then float up into the screen. Mm-hmm. And then you took that out of your show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you plan on putting it back at some point. I thought it was beautiful, but I can also see the other argument of does it take away from the magical power of those cards vanishing if people then are connecting the dots with their mind that is just going up into the screen yeah i uh i like it both ways um Mm -hmm. i i do find that um it's really just tough to beat the simplicity though right of doing it without the the multimedia in that particular Mm -hmm. case Mm -hmm. um but i i find that it it played well both ways but from a magic standpoint, it might be a little. There's, there's just really something pretty or uh, direct about stripping away all of that technology too. So, right. I don't think one's better than the other. It's just um, a different flavor, almost. It's a different flavor of ice cream. Yeah, yeah both are good. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, I just decided we're going long in this episode, so this will make <laughs> this will make up for the uh, the one we had missed weeks ago, <laughs> so uh, that we had to replay. Uh, so we're we're calling it even now. Uh, but do you want to switch gears over to diddle me this door riddle? Well, before we do, oh, let okay. me ask you if you've seen. Um, did you see the ventriloquist this week on AGT or no? I had not. No, I'll have uh, to check that out. Let me I've tell been, you. Really been just watching the magic acts. So, so yeah, no, no, same here. But uh, I did catch wind of the ventriloquist on there. Um, let me just tell you what it is. Sure. Uh, so what she does is there's no puppet. Mm. She's sitting and it's like she's watching a movie. Right. And the movie uh, like is, I don't know if it's supposed to be a silent film or what, but there's like the whole, it's a song basically. Gotcha. So she's singing a song, but mm. it looks like she's watching a movie. And while she's watching the movie, which is literally her singing, mm-hmm. you know, all you're seeing is her. Yeah. Your perspective is her. 
She's eating popcorn. She's eating ice cream. She's drinking all while singing. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, the drinking is a little bit of a magic trick. However, she still has a straw in her mouth. Like, <laughs> I've never seen ventriloquism like that. Have you? I think what she, the sounds of what she's doing, because I, I remember seeing a short clip of her audition, so I know mm-hmm. who you're, what you're talking about, but it mm-hmm. seems like she's taking the, um, the, the skill part of ventriloquism and highlighting that as the show aspect of it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and that's an interesting take on ventriloquism, I must say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very so, cool. have you ever seen someone doing that, like where they're like eating and like? I, I, it's a nice perspective on it. I've seen like the old gag of like drinking a glass of water, right? But other right. than that, not not too much other right. performative things to show that your lips aren't moving. It, it's pretty neat. Check it out. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. All right, all right. Uh, let's get into diddle me this. Diddle me this. Diddle me that will Eric end up stumping Matt Riddles. Okay, uh, the, of all the episodes, uh, I this is a tough one. I don't know how long this one will take, but uh, I, I found this fascinating. Uh, it's more of a, again, more of a lateral thinking uh, type um, problem solving, but uh, I, I, it falls into riddle. Here we go. Here's your puzzle. Uh, how do we measure 45 minutes using two identical pieces of rope, each of which takes an hour to burn? Okay. Now we have things to light it with, uh, but the rope. How do you measure what? Uh, for, you're trying to measure 45 minutes. Okay. With uh, two identical pieces of rope. Got it. And each of them takes an hour to burn. An but, hour, and I want to measure 45. But. Here's the catch. The ropes don't burn uniformly. So, okay. for example, the two halves of each rope might burn d- different lengths, right? So the first half at different might, paces. You at mean different like? paces, yeah. yeah so, yeah. like, one half of the first rope might burn in 10 minutes and the second half might burn in 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. But you don't know. But you have two ropes that you know both take burn, an hour. Take an hour. How together, do we... like like if you were to burn each one one at a time, each one would take sixty minutes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Each one is a sixty-minute length timer. You can think of it like fuses, but, but again, one might start faster and then slow down. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you can't just you know cut it in half and then use thirty right. thirty because you don't know if that they're both gonna burn. Right. Minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how do we solve this? Is very. It's this is a tough one. This one made me think for a long time. Uh, and I needed a hint in order to even figure it out. So what, what are your initial thoughts here? My initial thoughts are, do I need to burn the rope to measure the 45 minutes? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Burning is part of this. It, it's a little bit like um, the water jug uh, puzzle, if you've ever seen. like It's famously in Die Hard with Vengeance, where you have like two two um, water jugs and you're trying to find a certain vo- volume and it has to be precise. Uh, but this is using two uh, ropes that are that burn. So you do have to burn the ropes, but it's just a matter of how you're burning the ropes to measure 45 minutes. Do I have any other devices involved to measure time or no? Nope. You just have to, you just have something to light the rope. Okay, can I use my own internal clock of like counting, you know, one, one thousand, two, one thousand? But that's not going to be accurate. We want this so, to be so precise. No. no, yeah. And it needs to be exactly 45 minutes? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I have no clock. No clock. You're using the ropes as your clock. The ropes need to tell me 45 minutes. I know each one takes an hour. Mm-hmm. It's a tough one. This is... <laughs> <laughs> this one might be one of the hardest ones we've done. Well, if you light them both at the same time, mm-hmm. and, they and re- you just wait 45 minutes, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of hedging your bet. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I mean, yeah, if you yeah. light them both at the same time, you wait till they're both three quarters of the way done. Right, but one might burn real fast and get three quarters of the way done. And then the other one might burn real fast three quarters of the way done. And then it might take like a long time to burn that last quarter. <laughs> so you don't know if that's 45 minutes. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. What do you do? Do I have any other tools? No. You can do it with just 
the ropes. Rope and a lighter. I don't need a marker, nothing like that. Correct. Okay, so if I write them, so if I light them at different times. Sure. Let's try that. I'm not seeing how that helps. Well, we can definitely do two hours. Two hours is easy. <laughs> yeah, two hours and one hour is easy. One hour is easy. So now it's just how do we? So we know we can't start one right immediately after the other because that'll just give us two hours and if we right. start them both at the same time so that'll give us an hour stagger them but so, i don't i don't know how that helps either mm -hmm. is there uh, here's the hint mm -hmm. um that that helped me a lot when we think of like burning ropes or like wicks or something like that normally we're lighting um one particular part of the wick okay right? so you light it in the middle not the middle, but hmm. there's another point where you can light as well. Well, it's not one of the ends because that's what you would assume. Right. You, you could do an end, but we don't traditionally burn a b rope at both ends. Right. So you can actually burn th these ropes at both ends. Right. Does that help us at all? Um, no. <laughs> Because if right. I tie them together and light both ends, that gives me one hour again, because each mm -hmm. one takes an hour. Right. So if I light it at both ends, that probably gives me a half hour. That's right. So if so, I take a quarter. So you, you just found out if you burn one of them at both ends, you get a half hour. Right. So you want me to cut them both in half and then take. Well, you so don't want do to. You don't want to cut them in half because, again. You don't know if those halves are going to burn evenly, <laughs> but if you take one and you burn it and just, you know, because it might not meet in the middle where those two flames come, it could meet at three quarters or four quarters or wherever mm -hmm. it is, but it's probably not going to meet at the middle if the rope doesn't burn uniformly. But right. at one point, wherever that point is where they intersect, that's going to be a half hour because they both took half the time to get to that point, wherever it is on the line. So okay. that kind of moves. So we found out how to get half an hour, but you have to burn both sides of the rope. So then you take the other rope and you burn both sides again. Right, but you don't know where to stop it then because that'll give you another half an hour, which will give you an hour. This is dumb. This is hard. <laughs> it's really hard. However, Matt, I'm just going to give you I'm going to give you the solution cuz I, I can see our listeners already, are probably yeah, struggling. Uh, but so the solution is you burn one of the ropes at both ends at the same time you burn the other rope at one end. So what that does is that first rope gives you 30 minutes and it gives you a 30 minute timer on wherever that is, however long the second rope burned down to, we know whatever's left in that rope is going to be another 30 minutes, right? Right. So now while that's still burning on one end, as soon as that other that first rope is vanished, it's gone, the 30 minutes is up, you then light the other end. So now you've got 30 minutes left on the second rope, and now you're lighting it on both ends, so that's going to meet in the middle, and half of 30 is 15. I still don't follow, and I don't want to. <laughs> so basically you're using one rope to get 15, but once you've started the other rope, you know there's 30 minutes left, and that's going to be another what's half next? of what's left. What's next? <laughs> I hope our listeners like that, because Matt <laughs> does not seem happy. <laughs> I think that is a fascinating puzzle and a what's fascinating next? result. I think we're on to trivia, Matt. Matt picks up the question, then he stares at it. Eric's at the ready, time to use his wit. Pressure, 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 trivia, pressure, trivia. All right, I'm ready. I told you it was a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one. I like that you're like searching for a harder one now just for revenge. <laughs> well, I have two. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't know which one I'm going to do. Um, maybe I'll just do the one where I know where it is. Sure, so, that sounds good. It's uh, Oh, wait, no, I have both here. No? Oh. I swear we prepare for these shows. Which gift... <laughs> What gift mm -hmm. did the three wise men not give baby Jesus? Okay. I know two off the top of my head. Um, I think I know all three, actually. Oh. 
but are there choices? Because so, I have to name the one that is not one of the three that I know. Well, if you can name all three, I'll give it to you. Okay. I believe it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Which beetle made Ooh. Elton John the godfather of his son? Which beetle made Elton John the godfather? Oh, I don't know this off the top of my head. Well, you know the four choices. <laughs> <laughs> I do know the. I, I am a big Beatles fan, but I don't know. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of like which sons I know from the Beatles. <laughs> I think I know a handful of them. Um, piano. I feel like there's a piano connection to maybe Paul, but it could be John Lennon. Um. I'm still thinking about these magi and were they really magicians? <laughs> magi? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say Paul McCartney is my guess. That is incorrect. <laughs> then I'll go John Lennon. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the two. It was one there of you them. go. All right, man. Amazing. We have a successful trivia and riddle section of our yeah. show today. And uh, since we're going long, I have more to talk about. Let's. You want to... Let's keep doing this, Matt, because I just want to bring up um, uh, this is jumping ahead a little bit to our goals. I already talked about the Q Labs I kind of worked on. But um, uh, my goal while I was on the road was to take one book with me. And boy, mm -hmm. did that work. Instead oh, of bringing more than one, I actually finished a book. And this was profound for me, Matt. Um, this is a book called The War of Art. Cool. By Stephen Pressfield, who's a... Um, Writer, he was started as a screenwriter and then wrote a novel. He's most famous for writing the novel The Legend of Bagger Vance. Uh, but this is a book that's in three parts, uh, and it's all about how we tackle the creative process. And the first part is all about what he calls resistance of why we're not doing the thing we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and he kind of what's interesting is he personifies this as this enemy it's anything that's taking away from what you're supposed to be doing as a creative so it's the procrastination it's uh you know the stress in your your life it's all these things that are are, are tempting to take us away it's the fear of failure it's everything he all puts together and just calls it resistance with a capital r and he treats this like the enemy because it is it's holding you back from what you're supposed to be doing it's right. literally something you have to actively fight against every single day. And that's right. what, why he calls it the war of art. Now, the second chapter is about, or the second book is about how to uh, best combat that. And that would be by taking the approach to being creative as a professional. And that's doing things just as constant as resistance is towards you to try and prevent you from doing things. You have to be even more persistent in your, work ethic to combat that resistance so getting you know sitting down and writing you know he talks about writing you know pages uh for for novels or whatnot but sitting down every day at a certain time and just being there and being present and cl almost clocking in like a uh, you know uh, any other nine to five job uh in being there no matter what whether you feel sick or whatever it's almost detaching yourself and what i found interesting in most in this perspective is he was talking about the difference between a professional and an amateur and he's saying that amateurs actually love their craft or their art too much too much so that it's paralyzing because they're afraid of failing right mm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the professional is able to distance themselves and they know that oh i need to just kind of not be as critical of what i'm doing and i know I'm not putting it out there necessary for other people, but just to put in the, the time. I'll let them judge it on their own merit, but I just need to do it for, for my own self. And truly, mm -hmm. that is also showing a different type of love for the art. Mm -hmm. So I found that very interesting. And then the third part of the book is kind of like how to reach the higher plane of like the creative muses and calling out that creativity. And it gets a little spiritual, but he's using it more as a metaphor. And he's like, you could treat it, you know, whatever you think the, the source of inspiration comes from, whether it's psychological or religious or whatever it is, uh, and trying to reach this higher plane uh, of how to, to tackle that. So I thought this book was really, really fascinating, Matt. <laughs> I think I'm going to get it. 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah, but it sounds like chapter one and two are redundant, right? Because number one's about resistance, and then chapter two is about like how to fight the resistance. Well, he's defining what resistance is, but then the first second one? part is tools on how to tackle that okay. resistance. Okay, right. So then he's got all these different. Elements. I mean, a whole chapter on describing laziness, though. It's not just laziness. No, There's so okay. many different factors. Yeah, it's fear and and all of that. Right. But um the the yeah exactly the the third part of the book uh my biggest takeaway from this was uh the way we treat you know kind of comparing ourselves to other artists there's a he calls it hierarchy versus territory and there's that's how we all as um, creatures kind of respond to the world around us and a lot of like you know social creatures and even animals automatically go to hierarchy because it's like the you know the 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 alpha of the pack right or like you're you're trying mm-hmm. to see where you stand but mm-hmm. at a certain point you realize that's not helpful it doesn't matter it's not a battle against you know where you're standing is with everyone else it's more about an inner battle with yourself of mm-hmm. being there and then it's more about like why am i covering the territory that i'm trying to cover and that's what makes me unique and then once you find out what's unique about yourself you're not really comparing yourself to other people in your field as much mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a great takeaway to take away from uh, from this whole book. But anyway, very cool. I think this is one of these books that I'm going to be revisiting, especially whenever I'm feeling lazy and the output of what I'm trying to do is mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is not there. So I think, uh, and hopefully, I did a good enough job summarizing it enough that you're interested in maybe picking it. Oh, up. no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm curious once you read it, what your thoughts are, and then we can discuss more in depth. And it's just like being a professional and persisting and just being there every day is, I think, a great reminder. And that every waking moment you have things pulling you away from the, the job you're trying to do. Yeah, that's true. That's kind it's of, so true. Kind of amazing. Even just like, oh, let me check my email again. Even oh, my like God. The, yeah, even I mean, just like the small tasks, right? Email. Yeah. Yep. Even just like, the, oh, I got to do this for this and this paperwork and this and this and this. Those are all little tasks that are taking away from that, like that thing you're trying to do and to accomplish. And it's all of these, you know, choice paralysis. It's all, you know, having multiple projects, but never finishing them. Like that's all resistance. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It sounds like a healthy read for all of us. Yeah, man. So that's, that's the takeaway I wanted to get in there. And, uh, I'm going to try and actually get another, uh, another book for the next, uh, uh for the next shows. leg, next leg of shows. Cool. So, um, Cool. All right. So I've got a jet in just a little bit. So let's jump into those goals. Yeah, let's go to goals here. Uh, You were to reorganize your magic. Yeah, Yeah. huge progress, which is why I'm recording in a different room today. You are. I noticed. So you're doing some work on the room. I'm going to have a whole new office, brother. That's amazing. Yeah. But you had to get uh, the magic off the floor for them to work on that. (laughs) Off of everywhere, literally. Like (laughs) furniture and all has to be off the floor. Mm Floors are getting torn up. Um, and yeah. you had a two-week goal of working on your newsletter, so I'm yeah, assuming so that's going to carry over. Yeah, no, it's a, that's the perfect. That's actually the perfect timeline for that goal because we're going to go on sale September second. So, boom, hope to dish out that newsletter right around that same time. Amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, my goals, I I already briefly touched upon them. More office work, which I accomplished bring one book on the road. I worked a little bit, fixed an issue with the Q Labs that I've been playing around with as the software that's running my video. Um, my goal is to like integrate more of the Q Lab stuff because I'm ch- gonna try and run my music, I think, through there and so my other program I was using because I'm doing like some switching between software right now, which mm-hmm. is a little painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then also inspired from the War of Art book by Stephen Pressfield, uh, I'm just have I realized I have so many unfinished projects and I want to force myself to sit down and, you know, get as I think we talked in a episode long ago with a master class with Dan Brown of just like when he's writing, he's like 4 a.m. I got to be at the desk no matter what. It doesn't matter the output. But as long as I'm there and clocked in, essentially now 4 wow. a.m. is early. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty early. But he's a he's a, who, that's when he works. But uh, to find a time where I'm cl- 
quote, clocking in, and then mm-hmm. to like slowly chip away at some of these projects and then eventually know that if I do that long enough, those projects will eventually be finished. Come turn into something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So I think that's the goal is to, quote, clock in. Uh, I like it. Chip away at projects. So I love it. Um, Pl- plugs, plugs, Matt. Plugs, yeah. So we have the, we're in full bloom for the Animal Foundation fifth annual supply drive. If you want to come see my show and you're in the Las Vegas area, go to a PetSmart. There are about a dozen locations where you can walk in, buy something off the shelf, and in return, get a ticket to come see the show, which is awesome. So I suggest doing that between now and September the 11th. You can do that. That way you don't have to buy tickets to see the show. But outside of those dates, um, that that whole project is a win-win. But outside of those dates, uh, we'll be going on sale uh, for 2023 dates um, on September 2nd. Uh, Eric Diddleman, you can oh, see I, him at Spinato's Magic on, on before, August 28th. <laughs> before you do my plugs, I wanted to chime in on that. Well, uh, if you're coming from out of town, can yeah. you the, just yeah, go you to can, us? Yep. Pet Smart? Yeah, if you're in from out of town, yeah, you can totally do it. You can go to any Pet Smart in Vegas and uh, buy something off the shelf. It goes directly you? right on site. It goes into a donation box with my face on it. You can't miss it. And right on site, they'll give you a voucher. Um, and we have seats held for you. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you were going to try and change that end date. But if you don't, um, you were trying to do the 15th, I think. I wanted to change it, but I was told it's not feasible to change. Okay, so I will recommend then just say the 11th of September. I like that. That's why I said September the 11th. There you go. <laughs> when I did it, when I talked about this on radio the other day, I noticed the radio host, Joanna, she said September the 11th. So like, I go. was like, ah, yeah. very smart. That's or, her little or hack it. on that. The so I hijacked her hack. Yeah. Ooh, ele- ooh, ooh. Nope, nope. Ooh, <laughs> you just ruined it. That wasn't intentional. Uh, the 11th. Anyway. Um, <laughs> my plugs. As I know Matt, you caught it. As Matt, <laughs> as Matt was saying, uh, <laughs> Spinato's Magic at Comics Roadhouse at Mohegan Sun. I'll be there this Sunday, the 28th. Uh, and as well as uh, if you're in, that's in Connecticut, but if you're in New York City and want to catch me in Magic in a Bottle at the City Winery Show, uh, that's at uh, on Tuesday the 30th. And then also uh, we have I haven't posted the links yet, but it's coming around this next week. Uh, it's a brand new theater in the Hudson Yards area, uh, a new variety magic show that I'm going to be part of uh, called uh, it's at the Midnight Theater. The name of the show is still being determined but uh tickets and info will be up soon and that is uh coming up on saturday the 3rd of september so for all of my public show links you can go to my um just any one of my bios on social media but my link tree has tickets to all of those link tree which if you don't know link l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash e diddleman and that'll give you all of my dates uh but we also have to thank matt our Patreon producers. So let's give a huge thank you to Dr. Bob Baker, James Dawson, and Jesse Miller for supporting the show. And if you want to support the show, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash mindovermagicpodcast, and you can check out all the different tiers. Uh, As always, thank you to Alex, who's running our website, uh, mindovermagicpodcast.com. Follow us on our socials at mindmagicpod. And shoot us an email at mindovermagicpodcast at gmail.com. I think I did it. I covered all the plugs, Matt. <laughs> Beautiful. We did it. Anything else? Just oh. a big thank you to everyone for listening. And can, this we still, episode. can we still huh? vote for you? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Almost all the plugs. Uh, just a couple of days left for voting for the USA Today. Uh, best casino show Uh I don't even know what to call it. Is it a contest? I don't know what it is. But if you'd like to vote to support the show, those things go a long way. And we'll have a little link there for you. Absolutely. And I'm hitting the road again. And uh, you see Matt in Vegas. But that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Matt, this was fun. A lot to talk about. It was fun, but now it's over.